morning, everyone. Um, well, Tom, I think you said last week that the average attention span is now down to eight seconds. So I've probably lost most of you already. Thanks. Um, now, however they came up with that figure, um, it's hard to argue, isn't it, that we're not a distracted generation. We have so much stimuli. One of my boys, who shall remain nameless, will play music from getting out of bed to having a shower to breakfast to going to school right through to actually going to sleep um, and, and being in bed. Much of it to my great frustration from his loudspeaker of his mobile phone so we can all hear the music. And let's be honest, put your hands up if you're a multitasker. I am seeing a few hands up in the crew in the room. If you're brave, um, if you're on uh, Facebook or YouTube, why don't you put it in the chat? Um, confession is good for the soul, so fess up to the whole world if you're a multitasker. I've actually, I'm able to see the chats come through here, so let me know if you're a multitasker. Maybe you've been on the phone to a family member or to a friend, and at the same time, you have been washing up or tidying the house. Maybe, like me, you've been on a Zoom call with work or at school, and at the same time you've been reading or replying to emails. Yep, I've done that more than once, I confess. Let's see if there's any confessions coming through. Uh, and I remember, actually, back when I was at university, just a few years ago, um, one of my friends, uh, my housemate Andy, was watching the cricket on TV, sunbathing, talking on the phone, and at the same time he said he was revising for his finals. Yes, there's a few confessions coming through, fantastic. Um, with the phone uh, that many of us are glued to most of the time, it's, it's just so easy to be distracted, isn't it? So this, this morning we're talking about silence and solitude and how it impacts our emotions. Tom introduced silence and solitude last week, and it's all about slowing down, removing ourselves from distraction for a time, and being with God. The trouble is, though, when we slow down long enough just to get alone with ourselves and with God, we can feel all sorts of emotions that we've been trying to avoid for so long. Many of you will have got to know me a bit over the past few years. You'll know that I am an extrovert uh, by nature. And that means that I like stimuli. I like being, being around people. I like the noise and busyness and action. I find solitude unattractive. I like people being around. Um, and Ro can tell you uh, that uh, the idea for me, for being alone for any length of time, uh, it actually terrifies me. Oh, I, I, some of you are going to be similar to that. And some of you maybe are finding that in this uh, time of, of lockdown, there's already far too much solitude. And I also can find that silence can be difficult. Not just the awkward silence, you know, when you're with somebody and you don't have anything to talk about. Do you remember the times where you can be with somebody? But, but just silence in general. Anyone else feel like that too? 
And I'm also not that an emotional a person, as I've shared a few times. I naturally gravitate to think and to do, not to feel. So you might wonder why I'm going to be talking about silence and solitude and how it can help us get in touch with our emotions. Well, it's because I've realized that everyone, including me, has emotions and that emotional health is vital for our overall well-being and for our spiritual walk. And because I'm becoming aware of the value of silence and solitude in emotional health as well as spiritual growth... A number of years ago, Jonathan Carter introduced me and the leadership team to a book by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's really helpful in articulating the importance of emotional health in our spiritual lives, and I commend it to you. This morning we want to explore the example of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 to help us with this subject. And John Mark Comer comments that this story does a great job in helping us navigate the sometimes troubled waters of silence and solitude. Because what if we manage to disconnect from TVs, from computers, from tablets, from our phones, and we manage to get some alone time with God? And what if we discover that actually it's not easy that maybe our personal relationship with Jesus is more of a cliche than a reality? What if a whole bunch of emotions that we've kept hidden begin to bubble up to the surface? Well, Elijah's story gives us a map of how to deal with this. I first heard a talk on this when I was about 14 or 15, and I remember that it impacted me a lot Elijah's story made me realize that God sees emotions as important, and we shouldn't hide from them. We need to work through them. So a little bit of context then. Elijah is a prophet from the first century BC to Israel, and Israel at the time is led by a petty, insecure king called Ahab and his sociopath, Baal-worshipping wife called Jezebel. And we join this, if we can have the PowerPoint, please, at uh, the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elijah's coming off the high point of his career. So you read chapter 18 if you get a chance. He prophesied a drought for Israel, and there had been one for three years. And then he just won an incredible victory for God. He challenged the prophets of Baal to a public duel on Mount Carmel. So that was Baal's mountain. He was taking them to their home turf. And the deal was that they were to build altars, provide a sacrifice, but not light the offering. Instead, they were to pray to their God, and and the God who was real would send fire from heaven to burn the offering. So, the 450 prophets of Baal, they went first, and and they they prayed passionately. Uh, Elijah teased them a bit. It's quite funny. Read read, um, um, 1 Kings 18. Uh, But nothing happens. There is no response. And then it's Elijah's turn. He rebuilds the altar of God with stone. He prepares the offering. He pours water on it, which after three years of a drought is pretty precious. And then he prays simply, and God answers with fire from heaven. 
And not only is the offering consumed, but so is all the water and all the stone. And Elijah's God has come through for him. People recognize him as the true God. They kill the 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah then prophesies rain, and it rains for the first time in three years. It is all so good. Have you ever been on a high Everything's working out so well. You're on top of the world. Everything feels so good. Let's read from verse 1 then. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She was not happy. So how does Elijah respond? You know, I mean, he's just stood up to the king of Israel and to the 450 prophets of Baal. And now he gets one short text message, or just message, from the queen. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, went to the wilderness... Uh, a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So one minute Elijah is on the biggest high of his life. The next he's running and scared to death. I think we call that a crash or a breakdown. One minute it's all good, you're hyped up in the drug of accomplishment or accumulation or praise. But maybe you're getting tired. Maybe you're getting a bit unbalanced. Maybe you're burning out. And all it takes is one thing, one piece of bad news, one email from your boss that's not very positive, one difficult conversation some criticism on social media, and suddenly the world falls out from underneath you. I can relate to this. It's happened to me more than once, unfortunately. And John Mark Comer says in uh, 1 Kings 19 with Elijah, we see a seven-stage pattern for how to deal with a crash, how to deal with burnout. And we're not all in the same place as Elijah, Hopefully all of us aren't in a crash, some of you might be, but many of us are dealing with emotional issues to varying degrees. And if that's you, there's good news for you. God isn't surprised or offended or panicked by strong emotions or even a crash. He understands mental illness as well as physical illness. He has compassion on both And here's a number of stages that may help. They're not a quick fix. They're not necessarily a linear process. And in serious cases, just like with physical illness, we will need help from doctors and other professionals. But there's wisdom and experience in these steps. And they are first resting, waiting, feeling, naming, hearing, being transformed and re-entering society. First, resting. Elijah realizes he needs to get away. Excuse me. 
not just from Jezebel, right? Um, and he did that together with his servant when he goes to Judah, um, which is the two tribes of the south of Israel, and they're following God a bit more than Israel. But he realizes he needs to say goodbye to his servant. And he goes into the wilderness by himself. Last week, Tom talked about the Eremos, the wilderness. And he recognizes he needs some intentional time in the quiet, alone with God. And the first thing he does is pray. Elijah's a man who knows how to pray, right? He prayed for no rain, and it didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed for rain, and it poured But this prayer isn't a sophisticated prayer. It's not a powerful prayer. It's one line long, and it's essentially a suicide note. God, take my life. I'm done. I'm checking out. I quit. I'm no better than my ancestors. I have failed. And then he falls asleep. Let's continue from verse 5. At once, an angel touched him and said, get up. And eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. At the beginning of his time in sol- of, of silence and solitude, there wasn't much prayer, was there? He wasn't reading the scriptures out with his study Bible and and notebook. He's just sleeping and eating and drinking water. You know, the pandemic may have helped this for some, but many of us live with what John Mark Comer calls a low-grade fatigue that never quite goes away. We're constantly available. We're constantly online. We're, we rarely properly rest. If you're at school and preparing for exams, or however they might assess you this year, that's tiring. If you've got a job, that's tiring. If you're on social media, that's tiring. If you've got young kids, that's really tiring, particularly if you're having to homeschool them right at the moment. And if we're honest, many of us are too tired to pray God created us as whole beings. Our body, our emotions, our spirituality are all connected. And God knew that that he was not going to be able to properly connect with Elijah until he was rested. When we get overtired, we don't have enough energy to do what's truly life-giving, to pray to read the Bible, to go out for a walk in this beautiful area we live in, to have a conversation over coffee or a meal with some good friends, if you can remember back to those days. Instead, all we have energy for, often, is escapist behavior. Binge-watching TV, overeating, overdrinking, excessive time on social media, or dabbling with porn. Things that make us more tired and more depressed. And one of the greatest dangers to apprenticeship to Jesus is the exhaustion that comes from an over-busy life. Richard Lloyd spoke to us before Christmas about how hurry can be the enemy of the spiritual life. And at times one of the best things you can do for your prayer life is to just get an early night. 
or to take a Sabbath. And we're going to be talking about that for the next number of weeks. Rest is so important to physical, emotional and spiritual health. Second step is waiting. Let's continue in verse 8. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So first God gives Elijah rest and sustenance. Then God sends him on a hike. A pretty long one. And where to? Well, Horeb is the mountain of God. It's also known as Mount Sinai. And if you know the story of the Old Testament, Mount Sinai is the place of encounter with God. It's the place where Moses encountered God in the burning bush at the bottom of the mountain. It's where Moses and all of Israel encountered God at the top of the mountain with thunder and fire and smoke. It's the place where the Ten Commandments were given. It's the place of the name of God. And Elijah goes there day after day, <laughs> goes to, to, um, towards Horeb, mile after mile. Why? Because he is hungry for an encounter with God. He wants to hear God speak into his life. But does God speak to him over these 40 days of traveling? No. There's no vision. There's no dream. There's no prophetic word. There's no encounter with God. But Elijah isn't just waiting passively. He's not sitting on the sofa. He's intentionally moving towards God, journeying towards Mount Horeb. And the reality is that seeking God just takes time. And that's why later in the year we'll be talking about retreat, because sometimes God just doesn't do things instantly. It's not just in the 15 minutes before you rush out the door or uh, go on to the next Zoom call. Some things just happen with time. Third step, feeling. Let's continue in verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Instead of an answer, he gets what? A question. How like God? And what is the question? What are you doing here, Elijah? Where are you at, Elijah? What are you looking for, Elijah? What are you all about? Verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's just venting before God, isn't he? negativity, frustration, failure, it all comes out. His ministry's failed. He spent all this time as a prophet to the people of Israel, but they've rejected it all. They've rejected him. He's at rock bottom. It's interesting, isn't it? God's question to Elijah is the key to unlocking a whole lot of emotions that have been bottled up inside Elijah. Doubt. Fear, loneliness, failure. And you notice actually that Elijah is a bit more articulate in his prayer than before the rest. He can express himself better than before. The rest has made a difference. So that's feeling and naming. Not only does Elijah have the courage to feel his emotional pain, he also has the courage to name it. The good, I've been zealous for you. 
the bad. The Israelites have rejected you, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. My entire life's work has been a disaster. I'm the ugly, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And that's a lie, actually. God says later there's 7,000 left. But the basic message is, I'm done. God, I'm resigning. I quit. And how scary must that have been for Elijah to be honest with not just himself, but honest before God. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic psychologist and theologian and writer in Jesus-centered spirituality, said this. I'm being brave going through this. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it's the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. I love that image. No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude, a nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, and my distractions, so I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. But that's not all. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies and dream lustful dreams in which I am wealthy, influential, and very attractive, or poor, ugly, and in need of immediate consolation. Thus I try to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all its vain glory. However, the task is to persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. Well, isn't that encouraging? If you didn't want to do silence and solitude before, you're just going to really want to do it now. But here's the thing. All of that stuff is under the surface of your life anyway. It's not going anywhere. You can pretend it's not there. You can distract yourself so you don't notice. But if you don't deal with it in a healthy way, it will leak out in an unhealthy way. It will leak out in your relationships. It it will sabotage trust. It will drag you down. If you only have an eight-second attention span, listen to this bit. Is there a place to deal with your stuff? Yes. It's the place of silence and solitude with God. And from that place, by abiding in that place, you can experience freedom. And this is the defining moment for Elijah. His rest, his 40-day hike in the wilderness, is the key to hearing God's voice. And being transformed. That's why Elijah is a pattern for us. God is a safe place to deal with everything on the surface as well as under the surface of your life. If you're like me, 
you want to jump straight to step five, right? You don't want to have to go through all the process. You just want to hear God straight away. You want a bolt of lightning to transform you and then re-enter society and get on with your life. But the reality is it just doesn't work that way. We have to go through the process. It might just be for a few hours or days. It might be for months or years, working through, feel, through things, resting, waiting, feeling, and naming. And God has reminded us as a church family this year about the importance of abiding in the vine. Abiding in God is the foundation for everything. Just to quickly go through the others. Hearing. The Lord spoke to Elijah in verse 9 with a question. Now he speaks with a command. Verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah, take all of your emotions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and just stand in my presence. Let my presence wash over all of you. Verse 12. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of a cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's the same question again, isn't it? God's not finished with Elijah. Verse 14, he replied with the same answer as before. He's been zealous for the Lord. Israelites have rejected the covenant, torn down altars, killed the prophets. It's the same answer, but I wonder if it's in a different tone. Is Elijah in a different place than he was before? Maybe through the resting and the waiting and the feeling and naming and hearing from God, Elijah has been transformed. And he's ready to re-enter society. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Ninshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Japhat from Abel Mabola to succeed you as prophet. Elijah is commissioned back to the place he came from. But with fresh purpose and fresh vision and the awareness he's not alone He's appointing his successor, and then God says a couple of verses later that there's still 7,000 faithful. So this morning, I'm not sure where you are at. Some of you are probably doing great. That's wonderful. Others will be struggling with the pandemic. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness, actually. Some of you are facing illness. Some of you might be facing relationship troubles. Some may have spiritual struggles. Perhaps you're not even sure you believe in God and his goodness anymore. Some of you will have pain that's just been stored up for many, many years. Things you've done or things done to you that you just have never dealt with. 
Whatever pain or difficulty you have, God's invitation this morning is to meet him even in the place of pain. Most of us will just naturally run away from emotional pain. Often in our culture, it's distraction that we use to, uh, to uh, avoid pain. But the example of Elijah, as well as the practice of Jesus, have a look at Luke 22, verses 39 to 46, is to run to that place of pain and to meet God there. And in that moment of brutal honesty, to experience God's healing touch, to begin a journey of healthily processing our stuff together with God. So the invitation this week is to do that, to ask the Elijah question, what are you doing here? And to answer that question honestly before God and yourself. And as a church, we want to do life in community. So I encourage you to really engage with that question in your small groups as well. Be as open as you possibly can. And whatever emotions come up in your times of silence and solitude, God's invitation is to process them with him. And journey with him into transformation and fruitfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you that you know us completely and you know us wholly. And this morning we just want to come before you. We want to come honestly and authentically. We want to bring whatever we've got into your presence and place it before you. And we want to journey with you into transformation and fruitfulness. So help us, Lord, this morning as we engage with this. Help us as we engage over the next week. Help us to to live constantly in that place of abiding with you, I pray. Amen.